Hey there, everybody. This is Angela Bowen, the host of Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, the host of Oh My Lanta, Holy Chalupas, an unofficial Full House, Fuller House podcast. Well, today, guys, I am bringing you a little something different. I'm calling this the Quarantine 2020 Book Rex podcast episode. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just kind of go through some of the books that I've read this year, give you guys some ideas for book recommendations for yourselves, you know, for your kids, reading age. Yeah. If you've been listening to my podcast, you guys know I love to read. That's aside from podcasting, reading is what I'm very passionate about. Uh, currently, right now, I'm working my way through Little House on the Prairie. Um, a lot of you, as I've said, who've listened to the podcast know that my husband and I were planning to move to uh, Texas this um, late spring, early summer. Given the current world circumstances that's been put on hold, kind of on hiatus at the moment. So um, I managed to, a, a lot of our stuff is all like in totes and everything, and I managed like to pull out my little house on the Prairie DVDs. So I've been kind of working my way through season one at the moment. Speaking of little house and podcast, guys, there is an amazing podcast out there that covers episodes of Little House on the Prairie. It's called Walnut Grove Cast. Uh, Mark is the host. He usually will have a different co-host on um, every other time. He doesn't go in order like season by season, episode by episode. He actually just kind of picks certain episodes. There are nine seasons of Little House, so there's a lot to go through. He also has interviewed quite a few cast members of Little House. Uh, you guys, if you watch if you watch Little House, uh, Alison Arngrim played Nellie Olsen. She was the mean girl of Walnut Grove. Um, the host even was able to get Dean Butler, who played Almanzo, Laura's love interest slash later on husband. He also got, I believe, one of the Greenbush twins who played Carrie Ingalls. The, I guess if you want to refer to her as a middle child uh, of the Ingalls kids, because, gosh, they had a lot. They had four girls and, of course, Albert. And then towards the end of the show, they gained two more kids, James and Cassandra. But, yeah, he's just, he's in uh, Charlotte Stewart, who played Miss Beetle, um, the lady who played Alice, I can't remember her name, but a, a lot of different you know, a lot of different cast members. It's just, it's really, and not just cast members, but people that worked on the show. You know, set directors. Uh, there was someone who worked with the, you know, the Ingalls dog, Jack. And then, of course, they had Bandit. So it's just, it's fun to listen to the little behind the scenes, like, secrets and stuff like that. Yesterday was the first day I actually ventured out to get some groceries. Um... Because I hadn't left the house in like six days. Because I'm currently out of work. My husband is working, thank goodness. Because <laughs> we 
you know, need to be able to pay our bills. Like everybody. Oh gosh, guys, this is, I don't mean to be a downer, but this is, I'm staying positive. I am really, really staying positive about, about this because that's the only way that I can get through this emotionally is just knowing that there is going to be a light at the end of this tunnel. I mean, I know things seem bleak and they kind of do a little, but we're going to get through this. I say this at the end of, you know, my last podcast episodes recently, we will get through this. Just use the time that you have with your families and just be together and just enjoy each other's company. I know eventually you guys probably like pulling your hair out like, oh, okay. And I'm just like, gosh, can you imagine if Jeremy wasn't working right now and we were home uh, together? He'd get on my nerve. I'm sure I'd probably get on his. <laughs> yeah, the fur babies are doing good. Quinny's doing good. Um, Quinn's my cat. Uh, Lundy, uh, London, my rabbit, he's doing well. Liesel, my hamster, she's doing good. Just making sure they're set up with with their food and, and their water and just making sure they're they're doing good. They're they're hanging in. I know it's probably a little unusual for, for Quinn to see me here throughout the entire day, but <laughs> Alright, let's get into some book recs. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you the title of the book, the author, I'm going to read the summary based on the Goodreads summary. So let's start out with Roll With It by Jamie Sumner. This book came out last fall, so October 1st, 2019. All right. This big-hearted middle grade debut tells the story of an of an irrepressible girl with cerebral palsy whose life takes an unexpected turn when she moves to a new town. At least a girl who tells it like it is. That surprises some people who see a kid in a wheelchair and think she's going to be all sunshine and cuddles. The thing is, Ellie has big dreams. She might be eating Stouffer's for dinner, but one day she's going to be a professional baker. If she's not writing fan letters to her favorite celebrity chefs, she's practicing recipes on her well-meaning, if overworked, mother. But when Ellie and her mom move so they can help take care of her ailing grandpa, Ellie has to start over. Again, in a new town at a new school. Except she's not just the new kid. She's the new kid in the wheelchair who lives in the trailer park on the wrong side of town. It all feels like one challenge too many. Until Ellie starts to make her first ever friends. Now she just has to convince her mom that this town might just be the best thing that ever happened to them. I really enjoyed this book. Um... I, I like the the friends that she makes, her her mom and, you know, uh, Ellie's mom and just her being, you know, understanding and everything like that. And she's just, you don't really hear much about Ellie's dad other than her parents are divorced and he's living somewhere else. So, but the two friends that Ellie makes, it's just one of them is a girl who lives in the trailer park with Ellie. And then there's another boy. So we have, um, so word I'm looking for. 
a character with a physical disability, and we do have a character who has um, a mental disability. I believe it. I believe it's. It might be either Asperger's or autism. I'm not sure which, but both are very well represented in this book. You know, Ellie is not the poor me, I have a disability, feel sorry for me type. Oh no, she is not. She's like, look, I have a disability, I'm in a wheelchair, get over it. And I like that her her friends don't see her as the girl in the wheelchair. They see her, Ellie, the girl with the personality, the girl who loves to cook. And not just does she make friends with the kids, there's an awesome PE teacher that shows her a way that she is able to get involved in PE by, um, they're like these stretchy bands that she can use to like stretch out her feet and everything, her legs and everything. So it's, it's really great that he's like helping her out. I definitely, on Goodreads, I gave this book a five out of five. It's like, no way am I giving it less than that. So this is the first YA book I read of 2020. It's entitled Past Perfect Life. It's by Elizabeth Yulberg, and it came out actually last summer, July 9th, 2019. I also rated this one five stars. Now, I'm going to read the summary, and I know it probably does sound like, oh, wow, that sounds like a TV movie of the week, because it deals with, you know, kidnapping and stuff, but here we go. Small-town Wisconsin high school senior Allison Smith loves her life the way it is, spending quality time with her widowed father and her tight-knit circle of friends, including best friend Marion and maybe more than friends Neil. Sure, she is stressed out about college applications. Who wouldn't be? In a few short months, everything's going to change, big time. But when Allie files her applications, they send up a red flag because she's not Allison Smith. And Allie's make that Amanda's ordinary life is suddenly blown apart. Was everything before a lie? Who will she be after? And what will she do now? What will she do as now comes crashing down around her. This was such a good book. I was a little nervous thinking it would be like any other type of abduction story. Like, kind of semi-tropey-ish. But, um... It it was good. I liked... She lives... She and her dad live in a small town. And the small town is kind of run by this one family name. You can't go anywhere in that town without seeing... Um, like the sheriff of the town is the father of, um, Ellie's best friend (laughs) and and the same with the chief of police or, um, yeah, the, the chief of police, the mayor, just, yeah. And it's so cool because this girl is so protected by by this family they look out for her and her dad like when Allie and her dad they moved around a lot when she was a kid and if you guys know about you know abduction stories kidnapping stories especially when it comes to like parents taking their kids and everything like that you know kids like that they travel all over the all over the place they don't stay in one place too long but they did settle in this one town and it's just amazing how this one family kind of took that her, Allie and her father in. 
and I, I really liked it. And it, I thought it was going to end one way. I really was like, wow, this is kind of taking a turn in a different way. And it, it turned out really good. And I just, I liked the characters. And the story didn't get bogged down at all with a bunch of details. It didn't feel like it really dragged too much, which is awesome. Because that's the thing I struggle with when I'm reading something. If it's heavy into detail, and it just feels like the story is just like pumping the brakes. Like, just it feels like you're slogging through information that it's like, I really, I get it. I don't need all this. Why are you, you know, giving more? I, I got the gist of it. You know what I mean? I mean, but this book didn't do that. It kept me interested. It kept me turning pages because I wanted to know the end result. You know, and it's really funny. Seems like the book, I mean, a lot of books stay with me, but it seems like the ones that really, really stay with me to the point where I go out and buy them afterwards are the ones I get from the library. Because, like, I'll read it, I'll return it, and I'm like, I can't stop thinking about that book. I can't stop thinking about those characters. I just, I need to have that book. And I need to have those characters with me so I can return to them whenever I want. That kind of feeling. All right. The next book, of course, also uh, a middle grade, entitled Stay by Bobby Pyron, I believe the name is. This book came out last summer, August 13th, 2019. Mm. Okay. Piper's life is turned upside down when her family moves into a shelter in a whole new city. She misses her house, her friends, and her privacy, and she hates being labeled the homeless girl at her new school. But while Hope House offers her a new offers her new challenges, it also brings new friendships, like the girls in the Firefly Troops, the Firefly Girls Troop Four Twenty Three, and a sweet street dog named Baby. So when Baby's person goes missing, Piper knows she has to help. But helping means finding the courage to trust herself and her new friends, no matter what anyone says about them, before baby gets taken away for good. This was such a good book that dealt with homelessness. It also deals with um, a mental handicap. I believe it is uh, bipolarism. One of the homeless girls' mother, unfortunately, does suffer from it. Um... A mini spoiler, baby's owner suffers from bipolarism. Um, I don't want to get too much into that. I don't want to give it away about how baby and his owner become separated. But it's really, it's a good story about trying to work your way up to getting back to where you, you need to be and just not giving up hope. Knowing sometimes with times when things are hard, times are tough. That you have that gumption to not quit and do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And that's what I like about this the these people in the, this book. Whether it's moving in with a family member when things get really tight. You know, and don't, if you have to go to one of these facilities to stay for a little bit, just know that it's temporary. It's not forever. And then, you know, what's that one saying about how... When people hit rock bottom, the only way is up. Exactly. 
and I, I don't know how many of you are, you know, spiritual, believe in God and everything, but I feel, this is what I feel. God is not going to let you fall so far that you can't pick yourself back up again and start over. I think, honestly, as humans, we are made to adapt and we are made to be able to push ourselves when times are tough. It's that determination of wanting more, wanting to better yourself, wanting to... Wanting a sense of normalcy in your own life, even if it's just how things were before things got tough. And it's also never giving up. Alright, the next middle grade read is called Give and Take by Ellie Schwartz. This book was published last fall, October 15th, 2019. This book does deal with a character, a young character that does have... If you want to refer to it as maybe a semi-mental illness in a way, but let you guys be the judge of that after I read the summary. 12-year-old Maggie knows her her new baby sister, who smells like powder, isn't her sister for keeps. Izzy is a foster baby awaiting adoption. So in a day or a week, she'll go to her forever home, and all that sweetness will be gone. Except for those things Maggie, Maggie, excuse me, except for those things Maggie's secretly saving in the cardboard boxes in her closet and under her bed. Baby socks, binkies, and a button from Bud the Bear. Rocks, sticks, and candy wrappers. Maggie holds on tight to her things, her pet turtle. Her memories of Nana and her friends. But when Maggie has to say goodbye to Izzy and her friend gets bumped from their all-girl trap shooting squad to make room for a boy, Maggie's hoarding grows far beyond her control and she needs to find the courage to let go. Um, Yes, this does deal with a young character that is dealing with being able to let things go to the point where it does look like her room is kind of being taken over by hoarding. Um, Her parents tried to talk to her. I like that they try to keep the communication open with their daughter. Um, Unfortunately, when they do try to communicate, um, Maggie does get really irritated and frustrated and sometimes lashes out verbally. Uh, The parents do decide, look, we want to help you, and if we are not the people to do that, we think you should talk to somebody, you know, like a professional, just kind of work through what's going on in your head and why you feel you need to hold on to these things. And um, not to be too spoilery, but Maggie's grandmother had Alzheimer's, and she would occasionally become, you know, forgetful. And Meg, that's kind of like a reason why Maggie does want to hold on to that stuff. She's afraid, like, if she lets it go, she's going to forget things. But um, I like that the counselor doesn't talk down to her like she's a little kid and everything. She's, like, helping her create a way to let go and decide what really you should hold on to and what is just, like kind of clutter like you have the memories you're not gonna lose those you were 12 years old you have plenty of time you know to hold on to you know to remember that stuff those memories aren't gonna go away so i like 
this book. I really, really did. I never heard of trap. I think trap shooting. I think I think that's like kind of like that skeet shooting. Maybe that's like a country term for it, where you know they pull like the lever and the little clay discs get thrown out into the uh, the air, and then you shoot at it and stuff like that. Yeah. I also love Maggie's relationship with, she's got an older brother and a younger brother, and I just think it's just adorable. Alright, here's a middle grade book I read during February for the month of Black History Month. Some Places More Than Others by Renee Watson, which came out last fall, September 3rd, 2019. Let's see. Newberry Honor author Renee Watson explores a family's relationships in Harlem, its history, culture, arts, and people. All Amara wants is to visit her father's family in Harlem. Her wish comes true when her dad decides to bring her along on a business trip. She can't wait to finally meet her extended family and stay in the brownstone where her dad grew up. Plus, she wants to visit every landmark from the Apollo to Langston Hughes' home. Hughes's home, excuse me. But her family and even the city is not quite what Amara thought. Her dad doesn't speak to her grandpa, and the crowded streets can be suffocating as well as inspiring. But as she learns more and more about Harlem and her father's history, Amara realizes how, in some ways more than others, she can connect with this other home and family. This is a powerful... This is a powerful story about family, the places that make us who we are, and how we find ways to connect our history across time and distance. Yes, um, Amara and her fa- her family, they live in Oregon, and her dad is like, he's like a rep for Nike, or like one of the um, higher ups, like a regional manager, or someone who has to travel a lot for uh, representing Nike, and Amara and her friend, I think his name is Ty? Tyler? Um, they always get the top of the line Nike, like they have to be at the Nike store to get the new, the newest shoe. (laughs) And she's got like a bunch of different Nikes all set up in her closet, like different, different ones. And I guess, uh, well, her dad had to go on a trip and he wasn't able to get back in time for her to go because they always go together. It's like a father-daughter thing. And they always, like, get something to eat. And, of course, she takes her mother. And her, they're supposed to be, like, out the door, like, before 5 a.m. And her mom's still asleep. And finally she's like, oh, you want to go and get um, the Nike shoes? And, of course, Amira's like, no, they're probably all gone now. So, of course, when they get there... Most of the stuff are gone because she's texting her friend. He's like, oh, uh, they don't really have much left unless you want, like, shoelaces. But he comes out and he managed to get some for her because he and his dad do the same thing as Amara and her dad. They always, you know, go there at, like, 4 a.m. and wait in line. Because there's a line that, like, it's like Black Friday for Nike, <laughs> There's a line wrapped around the building, but luckily, her friend does her a solid and like, hey, don't worry about it. I know where you live. You know, you guys can pay me back whenever. And of course, the dad has business in 
New York, around Harlem. Also, there is a type of family genealogy type um, class assignment that uh, Amara has to do that kind of ties into why she wants to go to Harlem. She doesn't know her other grandfather. And she gets to meet her cousins, her two cousins who are just, like, one of them's just annoyed, like, when they take Amara on a tour of Harlem. They're like, why are you looking at it? Because she's never been there before. It's like, seriously, girl, chill. She's never been to Harlem. She's looking at all the landmarks and stuff like that. And the other girl's like, oh, well, we, we see this all the time. It's not really that great. And then they also get her, you know, on a subway to take her to where they need to go and everything like that. And it's just like, I like how things kind of work out and with Amara and her dad and, you know, her grandfather just kind of talking and whatnot. And we learned that um, Amara's dad, I guess, liked to write poetry and stuff like that when he was in school. And his his father just kind of frowned upon that. Like, oh, you could be doing so much more. Why are you into poetry? And just, um, yeah. And also, you know, she wanted to learn about her grandmother that she never met that uh, had passed away also. I like that she gets to learn about her family. She gets a relationship with her grandpa and everything. And, get, and I guess there's a thing about how... Like, hey, when you guys come and visit me in Oregon, like, it's going to be a lot different there. And Amara's kind of proud, like, hey, I can show them, um, you know, like, my world and everything like that. So that's kind of fun. And the book actually was quite short. It was only 208 pages, but so much was, like, going on that there was no darn uh there was no downtime there was no no dragging spots because the book length was so short that they got everything in that they needed to and you, there wasn't 100% like major character development but just enough that you needed to get to know the characters like sometimes that's it i mean with, with character development it just depends on the book and being this is a middle grade book, I mean, I get it. They don't want to bog down too, too much, especially for the reading age. Like, we don't want to bore the kids. They need just enough about the character to be able to get into the story, maybe relate to the character, and get to the ending. Well, you'll be happy to know I've been joined by an adorable furry semi-co-host. Hey, Quinn Wynn. How you doing, baby girl? Winnie, Winnie. Oh, she's leaving. Okay. <laughs> I had to look around for her first. Like, where are you? And then I turned to look to my left. She's like right by my chair. <laughs> right, Quinn? I'm sure she's not even in the kitchen. She's probably already left. All right. The next book that I read is entitled The World Ends in April by Stacy McNulty. This actually was an audiobook. And it's kind of interesting because this is actually... The first audiobook I read of 2020. So, The World Ends in April, April by Stacy. Is it Mac, McAnulty? I think. This came out last fall, September 3rd, 2019. This is the first book I read 
by her. And I did, um, I'll get to that later, is the other book I read for her, Miscalculations of uh, Lightning Girl, which is also very good. I also wrote all these books I pretty much rated um, five stars, so... All right. And I actually, yeah, now that I remember, I read, I read, <laughs> I listened to this book in the course of one work shift, eight hours. In middle school drama, oh wait, oh my gosh, is middle school drama scarier than an asteroid heading for Earth? Find out in the smart and funny novel by the author of The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. Every day in middle school can feel like the end of the world. Eleanor Dross knows a thing or two about the end of the world, thanks to a survivalist grandfather who stockpiles freeze-dried food and supplies, just in case. So when she reads about a Harvard scientist's prediction that an asteroid will strike Earth in April... Oh my gosh, it is, it's April, isn't it? No, guys, we're fine. Uh, <laughs> Eleanor knows her family will be prepared. Her classmates, they're on their own. Eleanor has just one friend she wants to keep safe, Mac. They've been best friends since kindergarten, even though he's more of a smiley emoji and she's more of an eye roll emoji. They'll survive the end of the world together if Mac doesn't go away to a special school for the blind. But it's hard to keep quiet about a life-destroying asteroid, especially at a crowded lunch table. And soon, Eleanor is the president of the secret End of the World Club. It turns out that prepping for... This is a... Teotihuacan, Basically stands for the end of the world as we know it. It's actually kind of fun. But you can't really prepare for everything life drops on you. And one way or another, Eleanor's world is about to change. This was a good book. It dealt with a character that had a hard time accepting change. Um, her friend, Mac, they've been going to school. They've been best friends since kindergarten. They've been, they're in middle school now. Um, his parents have been kind of toying with the idea of maybe sending him to a school for the blind. He's been going to, he had an interview with the head of the school. He went to the campus. He kind of likes it and everything. And Eleanor is just, Mac is her only friend. And the idea of losing him just scares her to death. It's like, he's been right by my side all the time. And the idea of just... Walking those halls without him, just, she can't do it. So, she makes up this club, which, they have to, like, refer to it like a nature club. Because, of course, you can't just say the end of the, the world as we know it is ending club or something. And one thing that got to me about this book, that, and if I was, like, zoning out for a hot second and missed it I don't know because it seems like something that would have you would have learned like within the first like half hour of the book what had happened to Eleanor's mom because I'm like where's her mom her her dad clearly is a single father she's he's got Eleanor and she's got two brothers one that is a bit rambunctious the other one is like super super smart for his age, and 
the grandfather that watches the kids and he'll like give them like freeze dried packets of like mac and cheese or spaghetti or like um I don't beef jerky stuff like that and I think he may even have a bunker built but he's one of those uh survivalists that coaches uh Eleanor and stuff on and she used to have fun when, you know, she would do that with her grandfather when she was younger. And it's just now, it's just like, uh. But she takes these lessons to heart when she creates this quote-unquote nature club. She gets other kids involved because they're, well, other kids kind of trickle into this club when she and Mac at lunch were talking about this asteroid that she had read about on this blog, this supposed Harvard professor um, was talking about like in April, here's like these blurry screenshots on this blog and Eleanor becomes obsessed with this guy and not in a good way. Her father at one point does intervene and say, you know what I'm taking your computer and stuff away. It's just, it's gone. Uh, One girl, I was so surprised there's a character named London who's kind of like a mean girl. And I'm so like, and she comes to this meeting with the kids and she's just calling Eleanor out. Like, I don't believe anything you say. You know, where are you getting your information and this and that. And then all of a sudden she does like a 360 or whatever you want to call it. And it's just like, wow, okay. this it's, We're seeing a side of this girl that we you know, London that didn't know existed. Like, wow. And it just, for a couple times, I just was kind of second guessing, like, oh, this has got to be like an act or something. Why is she all of a sudden being nice? She's just, London's got a way about her. She's got her own baggage to deal with, basically. I really liked Mac. I mean, this kid, the, the book opens and they're reading for class. They're reading The Outsiders, which what what kid hasn't read The Outsiders? It's basically a school requirement. Um, but he's reading it in Braille. Like, whenever I see a character in a book that's a reader, I glom onto them, like, immediately. Like, I want to be your best friend. <laughs> yeah, we're we're best friends now. We're book buddies. <laughs> but it's just, this book was so, it, it was good in a way that it just, it was, Good in a way that kind of kind of scared me, like how much I, I I liked it. It just definitely, guys. I recommend it for those of you out there that also have a hard time accepting change. I am one of those people, guys. I really have a. I've been getting better over the years about accepting change and stuff like that. So, all right, here's the next middle grade book entitled "The Truth As Told." By Mason Buttle by Leslie Connor. This book was released January twenty third, twenty eighteen. Now this was also an audiobook. Um this one had been on my on my um iPod for a bit uh, in my Audible collection for a while. I don't know why I just kept avoiding it. Like the um the premise made me a little nervous. <laughs> 
just the the subject matter. I'm gonna read it to you guys, and let me just say, after I listen to it, like, wow, this book just touched my heart. The character of Mason just really touched my heart. All right. Mason Buttle is the biggest, sweatiest kid in his grade, and everyone knows he can barely read or write. Mason's learning disabilities are compounded by grief. Fifteen months ago, Mason's best friend, Benny Kilmartin, turned up dead in the Buttle family's orchard. An investigation drags on, and Mason, honest as the day is long, can't understand why Lieutenant Baird won't believe the story Mason has told about that day. Both Mason and his new friend, Tiny Kelvin Chumsky, are relentlessly bullied by the other boys in their neighborhood, so they create an underground club space for themselves. When Kelvin goes missing, Mason finds himself in trouble again. He's desperate to figure out what happened to Kelvin and eventually Benny, but will anyone believe him? This is a mystery that towards the end I was trying to piece together like or maybe in a halfway point I kind of you kind of figure out who might have been the culprit. And what happened to Benny. Like, it doesn't take too long to figure, okay, clearly this person had a hand in what happened to Benny. Um, one character I just oh, annoyed me to no end was, um, gosh, what's her name? I thought it was like Charmaine or something like that. Um... Benny lives with his grandma and uncle, and his uncle, I can't remember what he, I don't think he really works, but he was at, like, a truck stop, and uh, Mason's mom had been killed, and um, I guess this girl reminded Mason's uncle of, you know, his sister that was killed, and he kind of takes the girl under her his wing, and she's living there with Mason, the grandma, and the uncle, and the girl does nothing but hides in her room and orders off, like, the home shopping network, like, constantly getting deliveries every single day, and mind you, she's using the uncle's credit card just to get the stupidest garbage that... And all this, half the stuff just sits in the boxes, in the bubble wrap. And it's just, he's so excited about getting these deliveries. It's like, it really irritated me. Like, Grandma, Uncle, step in. This person is not your relative. She technically doesn't even need to be there. And it's just, the way she would treat Mason, just, it's like, girl, you aren't of relation. I just, I, I kept saying, kick her out. Kick her out. I, ugh. It's just, I get the uncle had a soft spot, but finally, it's like, it does come around where the grandma's like, you are going to work or you have to find a new place to live. And I think even with the the uncle as well, it's like, I, I'm fine with you living here, but you got to be bringing in money. Because they live um, on the family orchard, and I guess they've been selling, like, pieces of the land to... Um, construction developers to make like 
new houses and stuff like that. So, but it's it's a good book. It's only like five or six hours, so it's not very long. But it just definitely this is a book that weighs on your heart as you as you're listening to it, and you just your heart breaks for Mason. For and um, one program he actually uses to help him you know, um, read and stuff like that is, um, it's called the Dragon Program. And I remember back when, um, I was talking about writing my memoir and wanting to be a writer. I've been talking about that forever, but Jeremy one Christmas surprised me with the program and I feel terrible because I've never used it. I've never used it. Maybe one day I will use it, but just, I just, but seeing it represented in this book, I'm like, oh, that is so cool. (laughs) But yeah, it's just, this is definitely a book to check out. Like I said, it's going to be, he's going to weigh on your heart. You're going to want like, oh, buddy, the world just keeps hitting you. But he makes the bestest friends between, you know, we didn't really know much about Benny other than what Mason tells us about him. And and Calvin, the sweetest little imp of a boy. He is so, so tiny, like a little elf. But, oh, he's so sweet. And the dog. Um, I can't even remember the dog's name. But the dog is the dog of one of the, the main bully, which I forgot his name. Um, and the kid just treats him like, Oh, I feel bad for the dog, but the dog just loves hanging around Mason and Calvin. Which, I don't doubt it, because at least they treat the dog with respect. And they love on that dog. The dog just wants attention, you know? But, definitely check out this book. It's really, it's really, really good. I don't know why, looking back on it now, I think it was just the the premise that kind of spooked me away from it. But, like I said, after having read it, it's just, it's one that's going to stay with you long after you read it. It definitely sticks with me. All right, here's the next book I read for the month of Black History Month in February. It's by the author Nick Stone, who wrote Dear Martin, which is a very good YA book. This is, I believe, her first middle grade book. It's called Clean Getaway, and let me tell you, the illustrations in this book are gorgeous. They're black and white. They almost look like caricature-type drawings, but they're breathtakingly beautiful. This book, of course, was released this year, January 7th of 2020. It's only about 240 pages, so it's not very long. I did rate this one a 5 out of 5. I also wrote, like I said, guys, pretty much all these books that I read this year, 5 out of 5. All right. From New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone comes a middle grade road trip story through American race relations past and present, perfect for fans of Jacqueline Woodson and Jason Reynolds. How to go on an unplanned road trip with your grandma. Grab a suitcase. Prepared or prepacked from the big spring break trip that got canceled. Fasten your seatbelt. Jima's never conventional. So this trip won't be either. Use the green book. Gma's most 
treasured possession. It holds history, memories, and most important, the way home. What not to bring? A cell phone. Avoid contact with dad at all costs. Even when GMA starts acting stranger than usual. Set against the backdrop of the segregation history of the American South, take a trip with New York Times best-selling Nick Stone and an 11-year-old boy who is about to discover the world hasn't always been a welcoming place for kids like him, and things aren't always what they seem, his GMA included. Wow, guys, this book, it, um, gosh, where do I even start? So there's a little incident in the beginning of the book that lands, the boy's name, his nickname is Scoob, Scooby. After, um, he, I guess he, he really liked Scooby-Doo, watching reruns as a kid and everything like that, so his, his grandma nicknamed him Scoob. When he was young, and the nickname just kind of stuck. Um, he had a little incident at school, got him in some trouble, a little bit of coding, cheating, stuff like that. And his father just seems like he's always disappointed in him. Scoob feels like he can never do anything right. He's pretty much grounded, I think even suspended from school. And it's spring break. His grandma rolls up. He's got an RV, like, hey... Get your bag. We're going on a trip. I'm not telling you where. Don't worry. You don't need his, you know, he, he just leaves his cell phone. Of course, he doesn't want to be ragging on, you know, getting his, da- his dad on his case like his dad already is. And he's like, let me tell you guys, this is like top of the line RV sweetness. It's got a little mini fridge. It's just, it's like a home on wheels. It's so great. It's got like, it's one of those big ones. That's got, like, the big queen-size bed in the back. Like, its own separate room. Scoob is, like, right in the little overhead area above above the driver thing. Like, a little uh, bunk bed. And, um... He learns a lot about his grandma that he didn't know. Um, His grandma actually... uh, Scoob is black. His grandma is white. And, of course, his grandfather, who he never met, is black. So it's an interracial... Um, marriage there. Um, Scoob's father actually never met his dad. Never met him. Um, and as they're traveling, they're going to different places that Jima and her husband went to. The places they traveled. Because there's this big road trip that they wanted to go on and they never got all the way because of some Something that happened. I'm not going to tell you what. But um, as they're going along, Scoob notices things about his grandma that just aren't making sense. He just sees, you know, she's kind of confused. Just, she'll come sometimes call him, I think she'll call him William. Like the name, I think that's the name of her, her husband that passed away. Um, and... She's like, we're going to get it right this time. We're going to go all the way. We're going to get there. And and she'll say things like, I'm sorry for... I should have done this or something to that effect. And um, 
She's being, she's really, really secretive on some things because he's like, well, where are we going? And she really won't give him any real details. And they're going through different states, especially Alabama, Mississippi. And you'll see illustrations in the book if you get, you know, the physical form. I, I had the, had the physical book and you'll see like, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, Louisiana, stuff like that. You'll see, like, the states mapped out, and you'll see, like, oh, here's a state bird. The state song is this, and different things like that. Um, it's just... At one point, and I'm going to say this, the books, the situation in the book made me start to feel a little claustrophobic as far as them being in this RV together and her just keeping information from him. The point where she throws her cell phone out so they have no contact with anybody. So it's almost like he's wondering, what is she running from? What's going on? And he learns, and we learn things about Gma that it's like, oh my gosh. Like, what did you do? Because Grandma clearly, Jima is on a mission with this RV trip. It's not just some run-of-the-mill, hey, I got an RV. She says she sold her house, got an RV, and she just, like a spring of, the, like, last-minute, like, trip type of thing that you're like, hey, let's just go do this. This is something she planned for a while, so, but I just, the reason I say I felt claustrophobic is the fact that we weren't getting any information from her, and Scoob was getting more and more uncomfortable, like, most people, it, it almost felt like a kidnapping situation, even though it's his grandma, but it's just, it just I, I felt claustrophobic. Like, I, I wanted to get out of the story for a minute and just take a breather and just, like... Because I was feeling like... I was him, like, being in a situation where you don't know where you're going. You're getting farther and farther south. You're learning that people in the south, even in 2020, whatever, are still racist as hell. And they look at Scoob and they look at his grandma and they just, people would just turn up their noses at him and just like, it's, and there are some places Scoob learned like his, you know, kids like people like him, but you couldn't be there when the sun went down. You would die. People would kill you. And it's just, it's, oh my God, it's just, this book is good, but it's just, it scared the crap out of me in some instances. Like, I just, I felt like Scoob's anxiety and everything. Because his grandma, his Gmo wasn't giving him any information. Like, when are we going back? What? I mean, yeah, he was okay to get away from his dad for a while. But it's like, we keep going and going and getting farther and farther away from home. And it just, I felt for the kid. That's one thing to go on a trip, but you have an idea of where you're going. And it's just, it acts like, she acts like she didn't even, she wasn't ready to go back. She didn't want to go back. And it's just like, oh my god. Whenever he'd like try to ask a question, she would get so like, why are you disrespecting me? I know where we're going. 
don't ask these questions. I'm the adult here. And it's just like, I, oh, and he, he just, he felt so powerless. I mean, granted, his grandma was like, his GMO was really, really short. But even still, I mean, this is an adult. Someone he's known his whole life. And it's just like, it's almost like a level of, like a trust issue. Like, I trusted you. You're my GMO. You've taken care of me. And now you're doing this to me. But definitely read this, guys. I really liked it. I definitely will read it again. But it's just that level of, like I said, just being a smidge uncomfortable, but claustrophobic, just being in that RV with them. And just the tension between them over time just building because she's not giving him any information. Like, there is no return date on this trip. We're just going to go. Then, of course, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but something does happen along the way that it's like, we need to stop this because enough's enough. There's things that you are not telling me that I need to know. So, like I said, guys, check this book out. All right, another book I read for Black History Month, From the Desk of Zoe Washington by Janae Marks. I hope I pronounced her name right. This is her first book. It actually came out in, um, I think it was, it had to have been right around February because that's when I was reading the, the books. So this is such a, another, another character. This is, of course, middle grade. Just like the other one. Another character that loves to cook. And there, I think there's a recipe on her website for this one thing I'll tell you in a moment. All right. Zoe Washington isn't sure what to write. What does a girl say to the father she's never met? Hadn't heard from until his letter arrived on her 12th birthday. And who's been in prison for a terrible crime. A crime he says he never committed. Could Marcus really be innocent? Zoe is determined to uncover the truth. Even if it means hiding his letters and her investigation from the rest of her family everyone else thinks zoe's worried everyone else thinks zoe's worrying about doing a good job at her bakery internship and proving to her parents that she's worthy of auditioning for food network's kids bake challenge but with bakery confections on one part of her mind and marcus's conviction weighing heavily on the other this is one recipe zoe doesn't know how to balance the only thing she knows to be true everyone lies so i really like this book um i haven't i'm trying to think i don't think i've ever read it about a character who's had a parent that's been in in, in jail before at least in this situation um i really enjoyed it i like that um seems like the girls tend to have guy friends, which is really cool. I like that dynamic. Um, but it seems like a lot of um, some of the books I've read have that. But anyway, Zoe and her friend, they live like right next door to each other. And um, they had a little bit of a falling out because she overheard her friend making, kind of making fun of her a little bit with his two guy friends when they were playing basketball because they were playing like basketball right outside her door so of course with the window open she heard like oh why do you hang out with her she's so weird she's so brainy and blah blah you know and just stuff like that 
and it's just her friend didn't defend her, so she's pretty much been avoiding him the whole time. And she wants to, and the one thing that kind of bugged me about this was you got one thing about Zoe writing to her father when she gets that letter, and apparently, I'm not I'm not gonna reveal that because you'll learn that in the book. Um. She gets a letter from her father. She's a little unsure whether or not she should actually write to him. It'd be kind of going against her mother's wishes. Her mother didn't, you know, this whole time she's not had any contact with her father. Her mother's happily married to a new guy who Zoe has called dad for her whole life. So trying to have a relationship with a biological parent that is basically a stranger to you is... It's kind of hard. Um, and she wants an- another one. If you want to call this like plot B, um, is the kids, the Food Network Kids Bake Off Challenge. And she's really excited. She's constantly baking recipes out of this, um, the last winner who put out a book. And um, she wants to prove to her parents that she can do this. So her mom comes up with a good idea. Like, okay, here we go. How about we try this? You can work at the bakery as an intern so you can kind of get an idea of, you know, what it's like to, you know, bake and stuff. Like, I'm because she bakes all the time, but it's like you're working in, like, a professional setting behind the scenes. I mean, she goes there and she's, not really allowed to do too much just because they're getting a lot of orders. I think it's right around the 4th of July or maybe it's Memorial Day. I can't remember. Um, but the one thing I don't like about this plot B is the fact that it gets shoved under the rug. And we've spent like a good 80% just focusing on her writing to Marcus letters and stuff like that. And her learning about... Her father, who I guess was going to be going to college for basketball, and it turns out like something happened. And I just, I read in the summary about him being blamed for a crime he didn't commit, and he's been in jail pretty much for the last twelve years. Basically, the mom got pregnant right out of high school, which. It's kind of one of those, and it always seems like in books, like the parent almost like sometimes blames the kid for like, oh, if I hadn't had you, I could have done this, or I could have gone to college, and I could have, and it's like, I I can't remember if she really does much of that. I don't think she does, the mother does that too much, Um, but it's just, and it's great. You know, her reconnecting with her father, granted she's doing it under false pretenses in a way. She kind of gets her grandma in on it, so that way the letters aren't coming to her house. Because otherwise, you know, if her mom checks the mail, she's like, what's this letter? You know, I, I'm surprised that she was even able to get the, uh, the one that she got. But, I mean, that's all fine and well, but it's just like, I'm like... They spend so much time in the beginning of the book talking up her being a, wanting to be on the show and everything like that. And like I said, it gets swept under the rug for plot A, taking up the majority of the time. And it's like, 
okay, we're getting towards the end of the book. Are we going to talk about this food competition or are we just going to say, act like it's whatever? They sum it up so quickly towards the end of the book that it's like, oh, yeah, we can, you know, do that sometime. Not this year, of course, but I guess the win out of that is her making that awesome Fruit Loop cupcake that I think there's a recipe on Janae Marks' website, so check that out. And I won't be making it myself, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to check that out real quick and see if that's up there. We can, like, put a link to that on, like, the, um, the podcast Facebook pages. I liked that, um... She eventually does work it out with her friend. It really was just kids being kids. You know, they're not little kids anymore. They're 12 and just, she's like, why didn't you stick up for me? I thought you were my friend. That kind of thing. So, I definitely enjoyed the book. I liked getting to know Zoe and her friend and... Her, her working in the bakery and all that. And her getting to know her dad. And we just kind of learned about the person that he was prior to his incarceration. And um, actually, to be honest, the book goes from her just writing letters to her dad. But to Zoe going on a mission to actually try to get her dad, like, out of prison. You know, like, I don't care what I gotta do. I I want you... You're innocent. You say you're innocent. I want to help you out. You shouldn't be there. If you didn't commit to this crime, then you shouldn't be there. So, yeah, guys, check this book out. It is is good. I, I gotta say, I mean, middle grade rocks. It rocks hard. I mean, I like YA and stuff, and I had been reading YA for years and years and years. And I just noticed over the last maybe two years... My reading tastes have really shifted. Um, I mean, back in like the the teens, if you want to call them like 2011, 12, 13, I was really big into paranormal and to semi-like fantasy. You know, City of Bones, uh, Mortal Instruments books, um, you know, Twilight, stuff like that. But it just seems like my changes have just shifted because there's so much middle grade that you can do so many different aspects that kids are coming from whether it be a disability mental or physical whether it be um a situation like zoe's where she has a parent who's been incarcerated her whole life and she's re- uh, connecting with them for the first time and just you know, kids dealing with parents not being in the picture anymore, whether it's divorce, whether a parent passed away and they're dealing with um, an, uh, their parent dating again or, or a new step-parent or a new baby or just so many things. Or even, you know, foster kids being placed in a foster home and having to adjust to that and having to adjust to having, you know, other siblings and, and just stuff like it's just there's so much of what you can do and I'm not saying that YA is limited I'm just saying that it seems like a lot of YA recently it's all like focused on teenagers leaving high school the summer before college a lot of it just recently in the last years all like 
oh, the summer before college, I'm gonna take an internship, or I'm gonna go study abroad, or I'm gonna... And it's just like, I don't know why I feel like I can semi-relate to middle grade a little more than YA, and it's just like, I don't know. Maybe because mentally sometimes I feel like I'm closer in age to these kids than, and I haven't, I can't relate really so much to, you know, the high school crowd and stuff like that. Because that wasn't me in high school. I wasn't your classic average, you know, I wasn't into sports, I wasn't into clubs. I was, guys, I was bottom of the barrel. I wasn't special ed. A lot of the stuff that these kids go through in the teen books and the YA, I can't relate to that. And it's frustrating. Like, I want to like the character, and sometimes I can like the characters amid all the stuff that they're doing and, you know, people being in clubs and having a bunch of friends. And it's just, I feel closer connected to the kids in the middle grade books. And that's just, that's just me. I mean, my taste, my taste in reading shift over time so who knows what's to say in another like five years what i'll be interested in so i definitely got a bazillion of books to you know to read and 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 figure out where my my tastes how they're going to change over the years i don't really see it changing too too much but all right let's jump on to the next book all right here's the last book i read for black history month in february it's entitled ghost boys by jewel parker rhodes now jewel parker rhodes this is the first book of hers i read i do plan to read one of hers in september kind of in honor of 9-11 um it's entitled towers falling i do have that book i just haven't read it yet like i said i'm saving it for september uh entitled ghost boys this book came out April 17th of 2018. It's only about 214 books pages, excuse me. It's it's very short, but it's very very good. 12-year-old Jerome is shot by a police officer who mistakes his toy gun for a real threat. As a ghost, he observes the devastation that's been unleashed on his family and community in the wake of what they see, isn't it? As an unjust and brutal killing, soon Jerome meets another ghost, Emmett Till, a boy from a very different time but similar circumstances. Emmett helps Jerome process what has happened on a journey towards recognizing how historical racism may have led to the events that ended his life. Jerome also meets Sarah the daughter of the police officer who grapples with her father's actions. Once again, Jewel Parker Rhodes deftly weaves historical and sociopolitical layers into a gripping and poignant story about how children and families face the complexities of today's world and how one boy grows to understand American blackness in the aftermath of his own death. This was, wow, this book, God, I, I swear, um... I swear I tried to read this, like, a couple years ago, and I don't know, like, what kept me from reading. Anyway, anyway, um, sometimes I tend to get, let the reviews of these books kind of, like, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of uh, persuade me to stay away from them. A book, I don't know, but I'm doing better just not to let viewers, like, or viewers, like, reader reviews do that like cloud my judgment if you will 
and kind of like, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to read this book. I don't care what they say. And a lot of the times when I read a book and I like it and then I'll read through reviews and people are like, oh, I didn't like it because this, but anyway, no, this book, I mean, I know that the author wasn't there. Like she most likely did, definitely did her research, especially when it came to Emmett Till, the boy that was killed. And we jump into that time and let me tell you, that really spooked me. Because we go to that time with Emmett Till where he was being beaten up because he had, um, I think he talked to a white lady in the store or like she was like giving him change and he like, like grabbed the change but it also kind of touched her hand in a way. And his cousin, Emmett's cousins, were like, why did you do that? This isn't, like, Chicago. You can't do that here. And, of course, Emmett is just kind of playing it like, oh, well, I can do whatever I want in Chicago. And they're like, no, you can't do that here. I think whether it's Mississippi or or, I, I don't know where he was visiting his cousins from. And all of a sudden, it's like they're going to sleep, and then someone's banging on the door, some some white guys, and they're, like, beating out of Emmett, and just to the point where, and Emmett's just, he's just a teen, like, he's, what, 17? I can't remember, but he's just a young man. And just by one little action, these men took his life. Um, Going back to Jerome, just... His school is just utter garbage. Just the kind of, you know, he's he's protecting his sister, and there's these bullies just, that just taunt the heck out of him. And there's a new boy. I'm trying to remember if his name is Carlos, and um, they're in the bathroom. Um, Jerome and Carlos, uh, Carlos are, and they're kind of hiding from the bullies. And Carlos has like a little. It looks like a real gun in his waistband. He pulls it out. The kids, the bullies, of course, think it's real. And they, like, get out of... They can't get away fast enough out of the bathroom. And, <clears throat> um... But I don't want to spoil anything else as far as that goes. So, but... It does do a lot of flipping of before and after. Like, when Jerome is a ghost. And kind of... That way... You're seeing how he's seen his family is affected by his death, but you're also getting glimpses of leading up to him being shot by that police officer and everything. You get a pretty clear picture of how things end up being the way they are, how he does get that gun and everything. So, um, but I like Carlos kind of coming in in the when Jerome is a ghost and just helping out Jerome's sister walking with her to school, protecting her like Jerome would do. I really, really like that, that he stepped up. It's like, Jerome was my friend and everything, and I want to be there for his sister. And and just, it's such a good book. And I just, you feel for the characters and for the family. You know, his family going through this loss. He was just a 12-year-old boy. But definitely check this book out. I mean, guys, you don't have to wait for, you know, February to roll around. Read, read these books. 
All right. The next book is a YA book. This book is kind of good for uh, the wintertime. It's called Michigan Versus the Boys by Carrie S. Allen. A-L-L-E-N. And this book came out October 1st of 2019. I, of course, rated this one five stars. And I like the book. Um, it deals with a girl playing hockey. But I'm going to read the book premise. When a determined girl is confronted with the culture of toxic masculinity, it's time to even the score. Michigan Manning lives for hockey, and this is her year to shine. That is, until she gets some crushing news. Budget cuts will keep the girls' hockey team off the ice this year. If she wants colleges to notice her, Michigan has to find a way to play. Luckily, there's... Mm, hold on. <coughs> I've been talking so much. Uh, mm. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Luckily, there's still one team left in town. The boys team isn't exactly welcoming, but Michigan's prepared to prove herself. To prove herself. She plays some of the best hockey of her life. In fact, all while putting up with changing in the broom closet, constant trash talk, and harmless, harmless is in quotes, harmless pranks that always seem to target her. But once hazing crosses the line into assault, Michigan must weigh weigh the consequences of speaking up, even if it means putting her future on the line. The only other book I've read that deals with a girl playing a sport like hockey was um, Being Sloan Jacobs. It's kind of like two girls that look alike. One's a figure skater, one's a hockey player, and they both like switch like places. And it's it's pretty cool. I re- it's by Lauren Morrill. It's really good. Um, after this, I'll, I'll read that premise because it's really good. Um, I really like Lauren Morrill's books. Um, this book was good. Um, it sometimes did get a little bogged down. This is YA, of course. Um, it did get bogged down a little bit in detail. Uh, the print one sometimes one thing that kind of gets me is the print or font is a little on the small side, so maybe there's a lot more words on a page and it makes it... But it's sometimes the details are a little sluggish. A little bit, not not too much. Um, didn't really do a whole lot with, with character detail too, too much, cause, but it's a lot of action. And I really don't know hockey terms too too much like high sticking checking stuff like that and just a lot of things and I'm like I can't even picture it in my head because I'm so confused but I just I, I ride through it and I just this girl Michigan it really sucks that you know the girls team is canceled her friends her girls are all like transferring to you know, different, trying to find out because they want to play girls hockey and of course their school does not have it. So some of them are like, well, if I got to go like 40, drive 40 minutes away and play for another team, one, her best friend ends up being enrolled in a boarding school to play for their hockey team. The only other option is Michigan having to try out for 
the guys' hockey team, and she's really good with her team and everything. She's what you know. She's uh, assistant captain, and it really this girl really like toes the line. She really holds her own amidst all these guys just treating her like crap and just touching her inappropriately in a way, you know, being she's a girl doesn't matter to them. They're going to hit her as hard as they would any guy. And it's just, they're doing gross stuff in the locker room. She's got to change in a gross broom closet. And they're all, like, showing their junk to her. And it's just gross. And at one point, and they're all, like, blaming her. Like, oh, my little brother lost his spot because of you. And she's, like, the best player out there. But it just, it gets to be to the point where it's like, gosh, girl, how much can you take? And she's not going to back down. Because she's like, I earned my spot on this team. I'm keeping it. And she's not getting any help from the coach. The coach is basically telling her, I don't want you on this team, but I can't just drop you because, you know, it'd look bad for him. He can't just let her go with, uh, and, and he even tells his team, like, hey, none of you are allowed to date her. He tells her, you can't date any of my players and this and that. And it's like, well, I wouldn't want to. And it's just like, the captain of the, fo- the football team, the captain of the hockey team is just, he goes out of his way to make Michigan feel like, it's just, it's just kind of grimy sometimes throughout the book. And it's just like, ugh. But she, like I said, she holds her own. She does great. Something does happen that takes a turn for something good does come out of something bad happening. Let me just say that. The end result, I mean, makes up for, I mean, I guess, that's kind of wrong to say it. But anyway, guys, check this book out. It's it's really good. I think we need more books like this about girls playing, you know, sports like this and having to deal with toxic masculinity Guys thinking they can do whatever they want to a girl, putting their hands on them, groping them, flashing them, and it's just, and these are high school boys. And that's just, it's no excuse. Like, at one point, turns, like, hazing where they're soaking her stuff and everything like that, and tearing up her favorite jersey... And at one point, it becomes assault. I don't want to say any more than that. Definitely check out this book. Like I said, we need more books like this that show girls, like, we can make it in a man's world. All right. The next book, a middle grade called Chasing Helicity by Ginger Lee. This book came out April 24th, 2018. And it's really short. It's only 208 pages. This one, actually, I did rate a 4 out of 5. I liked it, but uh, I just felt like the characters weren't really strong. I just, I don't know. I thought it was alright. Helicity is well aware that her name is unusual, kind of like Helicity herself. The word Helicity means to spin, and for as long as she can remember, Helicity has been fascinated by the weather. The weather is Helicity's escape from her own reality. 
May that be school, her father's strict discipline, or her brother's imminent departure for college when he's where he's all set to play football. One faithful day one second. One faithful day, Helicity and her horse her horse's name has got a beautiful name and his name is Raven. They head out on a long ride to take a break from life at home. Even with her vast experience with weather, Helicity is unprepared for the elements she faces. The choices Helicity makes before, during, and after that storm will have a lasting effect on her family and her future. Her brother is set, he's a quarterback for his high school team. In the beginning of the book, they're celebrating like a high school graduation and him going to college. Uh, Helicity kind of wants to get away from the party scene. She takes Raven up on this hill. And that's where she sees, she takes pictures with her phone of an oncoming tornado. Turns out, um, her brother went to go look for her while this tornado was happening. Of course, their house has been demolished. So they kind of have to be holed up in a hotel while things are being worked out. Um, And actually, it's like just before school ends, I swear. Um, no, wait, was it a 4th of July? It might have been a 4th of July picnic. Or was it Memorial Day? I can't remember. Anyway, um, while she's at this center for people that have been displaced from their homes by the tornado, she meets this, she's kind of like a meteorologist, um, but she's actually a storm chaser. And, of course, you know, Felicity, or Felicity, Everyone, like, mispronounces her name, and now I did, too. Helicity is really fascinated by the weather, as the synopsis said. She's intrigued by this lady, and um, she's got pictures, of course, from the tornado. And she meets the lady's assistant, I think his name is Seth, who's, like, a few years older than she is. And he's kind of helping the lady out with, you know, when they go storm chasing and all that stuff. But uh, her father, of course, getting back to the brother, the brother was injured. Helicity's brother was injured in the tornado when he was trapped in his car. He's in the ICU. The father, of course, blames Helicity. Like, where were you? Your brother had to go look for you. Now he's hurt. Now he might lose his shot at going to college on that scholarship and just um, but it's an interesting book definitely check it out it's like I said it's not very long Um, there are two other books I tried to read the second one but I just kind of got disinterested I know they're not long books but I don't know what it was it just I don't know but I I thought this this first one was good it's kind of interesting because it does talk about places in Michigan and stuff like that. Like, oh, I know that place. Oh, I know that place. All right, here's another short middle grade. It's 176 pages. Searching for Lottie by Susan Ross, which came out February 26th, 2019. I gave this one a 5 out of 5. This book is so good. It's so good. Lottie, a talented violinist, disappears during the Holocaust. Can her grandniece, Charlie, discover what happened? A long-lost cousin, a mysterious locket, a visit to Nana Rose in Florida, a diary written in German, and a very special violin all lead 12-year-old Charlie to the truth about her great-aunt Lottie. 
in this intriguing intergenerational mystery. 12-year-old middle schooler Charlie, a budding violinist, decides to research the life of her great aunt and namesake for a school ancestry project. Everyone in Charlie's family believes great aunt Charlotte, Lottie, a violin prodigy, died at the hands of the Nazis. But the more Charlie uncovers about her long-lost relative, the more muddied great-aunt Lottie's story becomes. Could it be that Lottie somehow survived the war by hiding in Hungary? Could she even still be alive today? In Searching for Lottie, Susan Ross has written a highly personal work of historical fiction that is closely inspired by her own family members whose lives were lost in the Holocaust. This book is amazing, guys. Seriously. You need to check this out. Of course, I read Anna Green Gables, if you guys are familiar with that book. Um, I did get the series of books for a Christmas gift. Um, I can read that real quick. As soon as Anne Shirley arrives at the snug white farmhouse called Green Gables, she is sure she wants to stay forever. But will the Cuthberts send her back to the orphanage? Anne knows She's not what they expected, a skinny girl with fiery red hair and a temper to match. If only she can convince them to let her stay. She'll try very hard not to keep rushing headlong into scrapes and blurting out the first thing that comes to her mind. Anne is not like anyone else. The Cuthberts agree. She is special. A girl with an enormous imagination, the orphan girl dreams of the day when she can call herself Anne of Green Gables. Now... I decided to get the book series after I had watched the Netflix now-canceled show Anne with an E because I wanted a little more insight into the Anne character. And the first book, Anne of Green Gables, covers like all three seasons of Anne with an E are in Anne of Green Gables. They cover from her getting there when she's like 11 to her graduating high school at 16 going on to college and then eventually becoming a, a teacher and settling back down in Athenley. We don't get a whole lot of Gilbert and Anne too too much other than the famous you know carrot scene where he grabs her braid and she like slaps him across the face with her tablet her um her wooden chalkboard tablet <coughs> um other than that, I think, because I did start um, Anne of Avonlea, which is going to carry through with her being 16 and a school teacher, kind of like Laura Ingalls Wilder in the Little House books. Um, but I've been working my way a little bit through that. The books are very lengthy. They're lengthy, not so much in page count, but very, very, very detailed, very detailed in scenery. Like, wow, just a lot of it's more scenery and than it is really dialogue. It's, it's a great book. I really, really enjoyed it, but it is a slog. I will tell you that much right now. All right, now we're getting to another middle grade by Stacy McAnulty, who did The World Ends in April. This is her first book, The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. This came out May 2018. About 294 pages, not bad. I rated it 5 out of 5. Lucy Callahan was struck by lightning. She doesn't remember it, but it is changed... 
but it changed her life forever. The Zap gave her genius-level math skills, and ever since Lucy has been homeschooled, now at 12 years old, she's technically ready for college. She just has to pass one more test. Middle school. Lucy's grandma insists, go to middle school for one year, make one friend, join one activity, and read one book. That's not a math textbook. Lucy's not sure what a girl who does calculus who does calculus homework for fun, can possibly learn in 7th grade. She has everything she needs at home, where nobody can make fun of her rigid routines or her super-powered brain. The equation of Lucy's life has already been solved. Unless there's been a miscalculation, a celebration of friendship, Stacy McAnulty's smart and thoughtful middle-grade Debut reminds us all to get out of our comfort zones and embrace what makes us different. I really like um, the the friends that she makes, the two good friends that she makes. Um, one, actually, she makes on the first day on the bus ride to school. The girl uh, sits down next to her and just starts talking away. And, you know, she doesn't judge her at all. Um, one thing with Lucy is not only... Does she have these amazing math abilities? Is I think she does suffer a little bit from OCD. She brings these Clorox wipes to school, wipes her locker off, you know, the inside of her locker and all that stuff. And then also her desk, she wipes her, cleans her desk off really well. Um, she does become the target of bullying from the Queen Bee girl at school, who's also, I guess, that girl's. It seems like the bullies always seem to be having a really bad home life. They're not bullies just to be bullies. It's like they're clearly going through something and taking out their rage, their anger, their frustration on, you know, kids at school. Um, And Lucy, like I said, she's really good in math. And the one boy that she, I wish I could remember the names, um, that she meets in in math class, I guess he's not really good, but he kind of, she does help him out. Like, she's on this one website that you can post, like, math questions, and she counts them as these online friends, as her friends, even though she's never met them. And her grandma's just like, look, you need to experience being a kid before, because she's already pretty much graduated high school and ready to go to college. But her grandma's like, no, I want you to have one school year in a regular school you know, read one book that's not a textbook. And um, the thing with, with Lucy is in her reading class, um, liter- however you want to call it, the teacher has them read a book, you know, each read a line. And the problem with, with the numbers in Lucy's head is she has to, like, do a word count of every sentence, like, how many words, how many letters, before she can actually read. And that's why when the teacher calls on her, she just refuses. And it's just, it's embarrassing for her. But, I mean, the teacher does kind of help her out later on when she understands, like, this is what's going on. This is why I'm having difficulty. Can you just give me, like, let me read it at home. That way she can do the word count and she's able to read the passage that she needs to in class. Um, there's also an assembly for that kind of sets up the project that the kids are going to be doing. And I don't 
remember what are her friends' names. Um, one of them, I think her name is Wendy, the one who befriends befriend, befriends her on the bus. And then I can't remember the boy's name, but they come up with um a type of project for this. It's like a it's like an animal shelter that took space in a like old rundown not operating pizza hut they call it like the pet hut and lucy kind of it's like a it's an i'm trying to think if it's a no kill shelter or not i'm not sure i think it might be a kill shelter i'm not sure um but their information is out of date their website needs updating and, like, all the pets that come in, like, have profiles, and they just... It's run by a, a, a girl and, and a vo- another volunteer. And Lucy's like, hey, my friends could, like, walk the animals, spend time with them. I can go and put all your information into your computer, the pet profiles. And, basically, she puts together... Because this is the project. She puts to compiles, like, what dogs... C- could easily be adopted out faster than other dogs, given their age, their color, their breed, all that stuff. And she creates, like, a little spreadsheet and everything like that. And it really helps some... But there's this one dog in particular that... This lady comes in, like, I gotta get rid of this dog. My husband just lost his job and everything like that. And apparently you have to, like have a sur- there's a surrendering fee or something and the lady just as she's I can't I don't have time to fill out this form and she starts to write the dog's name like cutie and then pie e p i cute like cutie pie and but as soon as the um shelter volunteers back is her that lady boom leaves the dog out the door she's gone and I like how Lucy, like, kind of calls the dog, like, she doesn't like dogs. She's not a fan of dogs. She can't have dogs in her apartment with her grandma, but she lives with her grandma, and her uncle is, like, currently overseas, like, fighting, I think it's, like, in Iraq or Afghanistan or something like that, and, um, but, you know, she can't have dogs there, and she doesn't like the dog at first, like, you know, she has an issue with, like, I gotta use Clorox wipes, I can't touch the dog, I don't want the dog by me, but the dog warms up to her, it just seems like dogs have a sense about who needs them most, like, people, like, you don't realize that dogs can sense that, like, a dog, if you don't, like, I don't like this dog, I just, you're not mean to it, but you're like, I'm not into dogs, but the dog will sense, like, there's not, like if you're having a bad day and stuff like that, they will like be right by your side. And it, just, I mean, I had a you know a couple dogs growing up as a kid and stuff like that. But this dog just warms her heart. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna tell you what happens to the dog, but um, it's just it's such a heartwarming book, guys. It's so good. I. I can't wait to read what Stacy writes next. I am I am here for it. I am ready for it. Loved both of her books. They're just writers that they write characters that I want to be your friend, man. I want to, I mean, you don't have a friend. I will be your friend because you are awesome. Quirks or not, you are awesome. All right, here are some books I've currently finished. One is called... Things You Can't Say by Jen Bishop. 
this book I gave a five out of five. It actually came out last uh, just March, March third, twenty twenty. 336 pages. This book is such a good book. Uh, I do want to let you know it's middle grade, but there is a trigger warning because it does deal with suicide. So just a heads up if that is a trigger for you. If you want to avoid the book, you know, that's that's if you get, you know. But um, it's definitely... It doesn't, it doesn't get into the detail of the suicide itself as far as how it happened just it's more like the aftermath of and how it affects the main character and the family dealing with you know the grief the questions you asked like why or what could I have done differently or he just seemed so happy like was you know stuff like that like why didn't I notice sooner? Or what could I have done to prevent it? So. <clears throat> All right. Jen Bishop tells the moving story of a boy determined to uncover the truth. Nothing is going right this summer for Drew. After losing his dad unexpectedly three years ago, Drew knows a lot of th- a lot about things not going right. First, it's the new girl, Audrey. Taking over everything at the library, Drew's sacred space. Then, it's his best friend, Philippe, pulling away from him. Is it Philippe or Felipe? But most upsetting has to be the mysterious man who is suddenly staying with Drew's family. An old friend of mom's. Drew isn't buying that. With an unlikely ally in Audrey, he's determined to get to the bottom of who this man really is. The thing is, there are some fears, like what if the person you thought was your dad actually wasn't, that you can't speak out loud, not to anyone, at least that's what Drew thinks. But then again, first impressions can be deceiving. This book had me. I th- When I read the flap, I'm like, gosh, why would you give this away, like, the fact that this guy could be Drew's dad. But I'm not going to give that away. Um, Drew is the oldest of two boys. There's Drew and Xander, who usually pretty much is shortened to Zan. Um, his mom, you know, works at the library and she was able to get Drew. He It's not a paying job, it's just volunteering. But eventually, now that he's a teenager, the next year he can be... They're called pages, which are paid volunteers that help shelf books. But he also puts on little, you know, he reads to the nursery kids and he puts on little plays. Like he'll take like Little Red Riding Hood or the the three little bears, the three bears and Goldilocks. And he'll like put out like a funny, like zombie-ish like spin on it. And the kids just love it. Um, so Xander is like 13, 14. Uh, no, excuse me. Drew is 13, 14. I'm sorry. I think he's 13. Um, Xander is six. And of course, Drew's always looked after his little brother. His little brother is just, oh my gosh, he's typical six-year-old. Just running crazy, like all over the house like a little tornado. <laughs> um, but 
one day this guy just rolls into town on a on a motorcycle and you kind of wonder it's like who is this because drew ends up meeting the guy his mom isn't even home like drew like just got home from being at the library and he's just hanging out with felipe and it's like who's that guy in a motorcycle that's in your driveway knocking on your door so drew's like hey can i help you and the guy's like uh yeah, is your mom home? I mean, um, we had plans, but I think I have to, you know, reschedule. I came in a little earlier than I was supposed to. And, of course, Drew's thinking to himself, like, my mom's not dating anybody. I would know if she was, unless this is some secret guy she doesn't want me to know about. And it turns out, this guy is a family friend. Uh, Philip, I believe, is uh, Phil. And... True, of course, when he meets Phil officially, when his mom introduces him, basically Phil is traveling the country on a motorcycle. He's doing this for a cause for his brother that had passed away. Kind of seeing the world, like, I guess whether that's what his brother wanted to do this trip and he passed away to, you know, when he was young. He's like, I'm doing this for a cause for my brother. I think he had, like, maybe cerebral palsy. I'm not sure. Cystic fibrosis? I, I can't remember. Um, but Drew's response to this guy is any typical kid that has to deal with their parent dating again. Whether it's... I honestly think that a parent... A kid is going to be more affected... By their parent dating again if their parent, if their other parent had passed away. I mean, they might be a little concerned if, say, their parents are divorced and the parent starts dating again. But it's like, they still have that other parent in the picture. But, yeah, like I said, he just reacts like any other kid. I mean, just like, why are you asking me questions? Why are you even talking to me? Kind of attitude and everything. And I'm like, I related to him drew that way because I was that way. Granted, I was 16, 17 and probably could have been a little nicer to Pam. But uh, I just like, who is this lady? Why is my dad bringing her around? And this kind of thing. Um, but let's get to Audrey. Audrey's new in town. Um, she just moved with her parents and she's helping out the library. I really wish we had gotten a better idea as or a better um, understanding of what her deal was with kids. Like, I can't believe we got to work in the kids' room. Oh my gosh! And I guess there's a little boy that was lost. Like, where's my mommy? You know, he's in the library. And Drew, like, hey, don't worry, I got this. But Audrey is just, like, so uncomfortable around this little kid. And it's like, maybe it could be a phobia of some kind. Or I just, I thought there was, like, an underlying issue there. Did something happen? Did she lose a, a sibling? Because we don't really get the answer to that question. Like, why is she so uncomfortable about her own children? And But she makes a breakthrough when she's like, Drew, guess what? My neighbor had a baby and I got to hold the baby. And it was just this big, big thing. And it was so amazing. And it's like, the baby didn't break. It didn't drop the baby. And it's just a great breakthrough. I just wish, like, where did this, like, phobia or fear of children, like, where did this stem from? Because it had to stem from something, right? But 
So she's working through her issues and stuff like that. And Drew is dealing with um, his friend Felipe across the street who's hanging out with this boy who's a few years older. He's kind of icing out Drew like, hey, me and Theo are hanging out. We don't have time for you. I don't have time for you. And the boys just get into like a disagreement where it's like, hey, why are you hanging out with a girl? She's your girlfriend. And Drew's like, no, she's not my girlfriend. But she is my friend. It's just... The boys work it out. They work it out. You know, Phil's there. He does give, you know, Drew advice. And what I thought was one thing was something completely different. And it really took me by surprise. I don't want to get too, too into that. But the history, Drew's mom and Phil do have a history. They went to school together and stuff like that. And also... Drew's dad also, we learn more about the kind of person that Drew's dad was in high school. Actually, he is a dentist. And um, one thing about Audrey, we learn about her. Is she's always nervous about when she and her family, if they got to move somewhere. And she kind of does research on like the people she comes in contact with, especially kids her age, or to see what she can find because she doesn't want to say the wrong thing or she just wants to get kind of a heads up on somebody, just kind of safeguarding her like interaction with the person so she doesn't like make a mistake and become embarrassed and stuff like that. So there's that and she kind of learns about Drew's dad and um his unfortunate suicide and stuff. Because when he, he meets Audrey, Drew mentions nothing about his dad's suicide. It's like, my dad just isn't with us anymore. So, um, she of course does her own little sleuthing, her little digging. And of course, they want to get to the mystery of who this Phil guy is. Who's hanging out with my mom and hanging out in my house and stuff like that. And the book had me for a while thinking, that's great. Could be his dad. Maybe. Because Drew is spending a lot of time thinking, like, what if... Because he's thinking... His mom's looking at him like, oh no, did she think that I could end up like my dad taking my own life and everything? And that's what he he's just worried about. Like, but what if Phil is actually my dad? Then that would mean... Because he thinks, like, suicide could be hereditary, which I don't know. I don't know. Whether or not it could be or not. Like how they say like alcoholism sometimes can be hereditary as well. But um, it's a good book. It's really very character driven from Drew's point of view. You know, he's kind of the man of the house. He actually, when his dad passed, Drew was like nine. And he had to like take full responsibility. His mom's not getting out of bed. She's very depressed. Um, he had to take care of his little baby brother who's quite a few years I'm trying to think how old was Xander like well if he's six and it's been three years so he's been like he was like three Drew had to make like mac and cheese he had to learn how to do the laundry the dishes all that stuff at age nine stuff that his mother could be doing but she was so wrapped up in her grief so tightly wrapped up like in a blanket would not get out of bed that I think the grandma did eventually step in and just say, Drew, now you're the man of the house. You need to step up and start doing these things until your mom is able to do them. That is a lot for a kid to handle. A nine-year-old kid to handle. Or just at any age. It's like, 
this kid's having to turn into an adult before he actually is an adult. He's still a kid, but he steps up and starts taking responsibility. And he's like, I'm my brother's keeper. I'm the man of the house. I, I take care of things. So when Phil comes in, he's kind of like, who is this guy? This man, new man in my house. I don't like this. And But what I'm saying, guys, this these books that I've read just they span so many different topics that are so so important. I don't think I've read a book that's dealt with a child dealing with, you know, a parent's not just a parent's death, but a parent's suicide. And Drew's asking these questions like what could I have done differently? All the times, like all the memories he's looking back on, like when we went to the beach, when we went to the the county fair, and Dad just had a smile on his face all the time and stuff. But was he really happy or was he he faking it? And his mom tells Drew's like, "Honey, no, your dad dealt with depression. At one point, we thought he had a handle on it, but unfortunately, because there's a shed that his dad would go into." And just work on stuff like ships in a bottle and stuff like that. And there's just all these like cartons of like his dad's life. And Drew just talked about how his dad would be in there working and Drew would just be hanging out. We They'd just be talking about stuff. But it's like, it's almost like I, I can get that. Like as a kid, you're wondering yourself like, why didn't I see the sign sooner? What? Why couldn't I have stopped it? And it's even the, you know, him saying his dad was selfish to do this, to leave him and his mom and his brother like this. So, but guys, definitely check the book out. It is, all these books are amazing in their own right. They are, they are like gold for the mind. Okay, here's a, here's a book I have not read. I'm going to say, I have not read Maybe He Just Likes You by Barbara D. I haven't read that yet, but I do plan to read it because it's similar in a way to this book I'm going to talk about next, which is entitled That's What Friends Do by Kathleen Barnhart. This book is actually the first book that she has written. This is a debut author, guys, and she knocks it out of the water with this. This came out January 28th of this year. I gave it a 5 out of 5, of course. All right. A heartfelt and powerful debut novel for fans of Erin and I'm going to mispronounce her name and Tradia Kelly and John David Anderson. That's what friends do is a book for anyone learning how to have the hard conversations about feelings, boundaries, and what it means to be a, a true friend. Samantha Goldstein and David Fisher have been friends ever since they met on their town's little league baseball team but when a new kid named luke starts hanging out with them what was a comfortable pair becomes an awkward trio luke's comments make sammy feel uncomfortable but all david sees is how easily luke flirts with sammy and so david decides to finally make a move on the friend he's always had a crush on soon things go all wrong and too far and sammy and david are both left feeling hurt confused and unsure of themselves without anyone to talk to about what happened as rumors start flying around the school david must try to make things right if he can and sammy must learn to speak up about what's done to her 
So, David and Sammy have been friends, like the summary says, since they were probably about maybe seven, eight years old when they were both in um, Little League together. Uh, David really, he's not too much into baseball. He'll play it, but he's not, like, the best player. His dad actually owns a sporting goods store, and... Um, he has to help his dad out when, uh, teenage employees, like, flake on their job. Like, yeah, I'm gonna call in, I'm too sick, or whatever. Um, and he's got a little sister who, <laughs> it's just so cute, them together. Though, like, David and his sister will write stories, and he's really good at drawing. And, um, Sammy... Her home life's really interesting because she's got, like, two older sisters who she calls, like, the P's. The P-E-A-S's. Like, two P's in a pod. They're just, like, their, uh, their mother. They're both, like, in high school and everything like that. And they're all about, like, fashion and looking good and makeup and all that. And Sammy's not like this. Sammy, I guess, if you wanted to call her maybe a tomboy... You kind of could. And it almost feels like Sammy's dad is almost trying to fulfill the role of, like, not having a son by having... I mean, Sammy likes playing baseball and stuff like that. And he's just been working with her so much that um, when she's in school, like, the coach for the softball team is trying to, like, hey, you should really... Like, play for our team. You'd be really good on it. We could really use you. And the um, th- this new girl, Haley, starts befriending Sammy and stuff, like, hey, maybe you should try softball, you don't, you, but Sammy just, it almost feels like she's been brainwashed by her dad to say that softball's not a real sport, it's not really baseball, and I guess a couple girls that Sammy used to be friends with are more into boys and makeup and all that stuff, and, um, David and Sammy just, they, they hang out. They're, like, the best of friends. They come up with these, like, would you rather if you had to sit on a hive of, like, fire ants for, like, 24 hours, or would you rather, um, I can't think of what's worse than that, um, be stranded out on your back porch with no way to get into your house and just your skivvies and no socks or for like an hour or something like that. I don't know. Um, that's a pretty bad <laughs> example. Um, but anyway, they're the best friends, David and Sammy. They like all the same things. They have like the would you rather is kind of like their inside joke. Uh, new kid Luke comes to school and he is all like wanting to make friends and he I this kid just got to me just the way that he I guess at one point his old school he had a girlfriend for like three months but he's all he's such like a big shot like swagger and confidence and I get that David is like kind of a little admirable of that. He's like, oh, wow, that guy's got such, like, wow. He's really good with the girls. And David, of course, we find out that he has had a bit of a crush on Sammy. And he, you know, they've been best friends. He really doesn't know how to break it to her. Like, he's, like, saying how he wants to reveal, like, his true feelings for her. 
And then Luke comes in, and Luke right away is like, you guys definitely would get a bad feeling for this kid. It's just like, oh, hey, Sammy, what you eating? Here, let me have a bite. Oh, you eating ice cream? Let me have a, uh, a bite of your ice cream. Or, hey, let me put my arm around you. Hey, let me pat your shoulder. Like, practically sitting on her lap at lunchtime. And it's just... David can't see. He is kind of blinded by, like, oh... Luke's so good with the girls, and oh, he and Sammy might get together, and I've blown my chance. But he's not seeing the effect that this is having on his friend. Sammy, of course, is like, what? This guy, Luke, gets in her personal space. And I know this is a thing now that we're realizing, like, boundaries is a big, big thing. Back in my day, there wasn't a thing like boundaries. I'd never even heard of it. Kid wanted to get all up in your grill, he'd do it. And you, what could you possibly say to like, oh, I don't like you, you're in my personal space? They'd look at you like you had a, a second head. Uh, and it just, uh, this kid just, it rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't like it. And she, of course, tries to bring it up with her sisters. And her sister's like, oh my gosh, that new kid look is so cute. You should really get with that. And it's just like, <sighs> It's kind of, it's middle school, and you're feeling, like, you see the kids at that age are, like, curious, and they're, like, you know, cute hand-holding and stuff like that. But at some point, there is a line that you don't cross. And it's, like, Sammy feels like she can't even get away from Luke. Not only is he in their school, in her class, he's on the bus with her, and it's just... I, I get how this kid Luke is coming in between this solid friendship between David and Sammy. He doesn't really want to say anything to her dad because her dad is probably just going to say something like, Oh, boys just do that. Don't pay any, any mind to that. But he's more like, Oh, you really need to focus on baseball since you're like the best player. And, oh, I don't... Because at one point, she and David do kind of drift and kind of... After the incident, I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to spoil it. They kind of, she starts hanging out with the new girl, Haley. Uh, David continues to hang out with Luke. And she kind of, Sammy does kind of try to do a little bit of the batting cages with, uh, with Haley. And then, of course, her dad ends up going with David's dad and Luke. And it's like, what are you doing here? Why are you, I thought you were sick or something like that. Why aren't you, you said you couldn't come with us in the batting cages, but here you are with the softball team. And he just gets right in the coach's, the softball coach's face. Like, you disobeyed me, daughter. Just, and Sammy is conflicted. I mean, it's like, her dad has, like, just been working with her this whole time. Like, no, softball is bad. You have to... Learn a whole way of how to throw and this and that. And all your work in baseball will just be for naught. And it's just like, he's not having it. It's like, no, I don't want to see you having anything to do with softball. And it's just like, the dad is just, her dad is just like, and I like how the sis, her, Sammy's older sisters and mom are finally kind of ganging up on him. Like, you need to drop this sexist attitude because... Oh, girls can't play. Oh, softball's not a real sport and this and that. Ugh. But, no. I just... 
something happens along the way with Luke. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to spoil it, but it really irritates me because it's like all of a sudden we're supposed to feel sorry for this kid and that somehow excuses his actions with Sammy. I mean, kids now are living in an age of personal space and boundaries that need to be respected. And parents, I think, need to also be raised, especially their sons, to learn to respect women. Not just as an adult, but as a kid and going into middle school when you're going through the changes, physical, mental changes and stuff like that. You know, thinking, you know, you know, you know romantic feelings for another individual. What is okay to do and what is not okay to do. Because if you don't change that behavior as a kid, you're going to take that into adulthood. And you can't just get up in someone's personal space in an adult and expect them to be okay with that. Because the next thing you know, someone's either going to get... It could end up badly and you could probably end up with an assault. Or somebody could be... Yeah. Just... And and honestly, I don't know. We see so much more of a, a, gir- a boy doing this to a girl... But it'd be interesting if the tables turned and we saw a girl doing this to a guy. Just because, just because we don't see stories about that it type of, you know, it, you know, flip-flopping doesn't mean it's not out there. But this is definitely, I mean, would you call it a hot button issue? I don't know. I don't know about the hot button issues, but definitely it is... This is one of those rages, like, this is important for kids to be reading today. Because in an ever-changing world, where kids are growing up and they need to know what is accepted, what is an acceptable type of behavior, and what is, should not be tolerated. And that definitely reminds us, like, reading this book is like, if you're uncomfortable, I know it's uncomfortable to talk about, but you need to tell somebody um, a little story that goes with this. Um, when I was 10 years old, I was in fourth grade. Um, there was a boy that was a grade older than, um, grade higher than me. And, um, he just, I didn't like how he was like putting his arm around me. And one time he like kissed me on the face and I didn't like it, which is kind of like the same thing with Sammy here. Where, you know, Luke kisses her on the face like at New Year uh, at the New Year's Eve party at like uh, David's house, and it's just not warranted. But it just, I didn't like the way that this made me feel. This guy doing this, feeling like it was almost, even though he's a year older than me, he's like eleven. It felt almost predatory, like. Like, how he's, like, putting his arm around me, and it just, I just felt gross. And I, I never told anybody. Nobody knows that it happened. And I looked up later on, like, wonder what happened to this guy. Sure enough, he's on the sex offenders list for being with a kid that's, like, under the age of 15, like, between 13 and 15. And it's just, like, good grief. I tell you guys, especially back in the day, that was, if you wonder what some of those kids were going to end up doing, especially those type of kids, like, you look on the sex offenders list, they're, 
they're probably going to be there. They're probably going to, I'm not saying all, but I'm just like, I just had a feeling about some kids. Like, you can really read people at that age. But that was my experience. And reading this book just kind of, it definitely brought that back for me. I just wish as a kid I could have I could have said something to somebody. All right, now this this next book, of course, middle grade. It's a fun one. It actually is the first book in a trilogy, and I did pre-order the next one. It's called Throwback by Peter. I'm gonna butcher this last name. Larangus. I'm sure I butchered his last. Uh, I gave this one a four out of five. Just because one section of the book just felt like it dragged on. Like, is there a purpose for this? There is an end result to this one section. Like, why are we spending so much time in this particular, you know. Alright, let me read the summary. Alright, this book came out last fall, October 1st, 2019. It's about 352 pages, so. Alright. Electrifying new trilogy about a boy who discovers that he alone may be able to alter the course of history. Corey Fletcher has an has an active imagination. He sees things no one else gets, cracks jokes no one else gets, and goes places a few goes places few would ever dare to go, like the past. All he needs is a metal artifact from a point in time, and Corey can go there. Although hundreds of time travelers live in secret throughout the world, including Corey's own grandfather, none has the ability to change past events. But when Corey accidentally saves a life while time traveling, he realizes that he is the first ever quote-unquote throwback, with the power to alter life as we know it, which means his own life is now in all sorts of danger. This is the first book in a thrilling edge-of-your-seat adventure series from New York Times bestselling author Peter Larangus, whose books have sold over five and a half million copies. Alright, I'm going to read the inside flap here because it does give a little bit more information on the summary. I don't think it's really spoilerish. So, alright. Corey Fletcher has an active imagination. He sees things no one else does, cracks jokes no, jokes no one else gets, and goes places few would ever dare to go, like the past. This is kind of similar to the summary, so. All he needs is a metal artifact from here, from a point in time, and Corey can go there. Although hundreds of tri- time travelers live in secret throughout the world, including Corey's own grandfather, none has the ability to change past events. But when Corey accidentally saves a life while time traveling, he realizes that he is the first ever throwback with the power to alter life as we know it, which means his own life is now in all sorts of danger. To Corey, this doesn't matter. With his new powers, he sees a chance to write the worst tragedy in family's history in his family's history. Ignoring his grandfather's warning, he goes back to save his grandmother, who died tragically on September 11th. When things go awry, Corey winds up in a very different and dangerous New York City of 1917. Lost and alone, he must find his way back to the present alive, without changing the past and forever altering his future. Yeah. See, I didn't read the flap, guys. And I'm like, what? He's where? What? What happened? So, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I liked the book. Like I said, I thought it kind of, in the 1917 part, I'm like, this is dragging on. Can we? But there is a reason for it dragging on. Something does happen, and I'm not going to say anything else. Just something happens, and there's a reason why he went back. So, uh, a book I just finished last week, five out of five stars, The Disaster Days by Rebecca B-E-H-R-E-N-S. This book came out also October 1st, 2019. 304 pages. This book, guys, I read this book and I'm just like, wow. This is, I mean, with everything that's going on, this probably would be a very good read. What am I saying? Probably it is. (laughs) Hannah Steele loves living on Pelling, a tiny island near Seattle. It's a little connect it's a little disconnected from the outside world, but she's always felt completely safe there, which is why when she's asked one day to babysit after school, she thinks it's no big deal. Zoe and Oscar are her next-door neighbors, and Hannah just took a babysitting class that she's pretty sure makes her an expert. She isn't even worried that she left her inhaler at home because she has asthma. Then the shaking begins. The terrifying earthquake only lasts four minutes, but it changes everything, damaging the house, knocking out the power, and making cell service non-existent. Even worse, the ferry and the bridge connecting the kids to help and their parents are both blocked, which means they're stranded and alone. With Hannah in charge, as things go from bad to dangerous. I like this little tagline here. It says, a thrilling and realistic survival story that explores how far we can push ourselves in the face of a crisis. Here's a little snippet of the book. I turned the radio dial off. The silence in the living room felt thick with dread. I looked away from the kids. Andrea wasn't going to be home anytime soon, and neither was my mom. We were all alone in a shaken and shattered house in the dark. One of us was bleeding. All of us were terrified and I was in charge. Guys, this book, I am telling you, like, wow, this girl and these kids go through so much. And it's actually, there's, it's, the sections are separated by days. We have day one, we have day two, day three, and finally day four. This is one of those what if situations, like, you're babysitting and you're thinking worst case scenario like this blows that out of the water you can't even this anything she thinks oh what if this happens or or something like that and and the thing is she just had a this girl it's a typical day her dad is out um on a business trip so she's like hey dad how you doing And and the book kind of starts like, oh, if only I had said this to my dad instead of this. If only I hadn't rejected my mom's hug because I was angry with her. And, you know, she has a fight with her friend and everything like that. Because her friend is hanging around with this other new friend. And um, Hannah's feeling a little jelly in that regard. Of course, it's like a busy day. You're running late. You, of course, forget your inhaler, which isn't good when you're an asthmatic. Um, Hannah and her friend, I think it's like Nayla, her friend Nayla, um, they kind of, I guess if you want to call it, not so much a falling out, but because 
Hannah can't play soccer. Nayla and Marley play soccer. So that's how they've kind of gotten closer. And Hannah can't play soccer. She tried, of course, due to her asthma. She just isn't able to, you know, play the sport. And which isn't so bad, but it's like she feels like she's losing her best friend that they did everything together. Um... And it's just one of those mornings where you don't think, like, oh, what if this happens? I wish I had said goodbye to my dad, or I wish I had, like, when my mom was going to give me a hug, I didn't, like, push away from her and say, like, no, I'm angry at you. I don't want you to hug me. And just the things that you regret that you wish you could do differently, because at the time you don't know that, you know, you may not get the chance to to, you know, right a wrong and apologize and say I love you and everything like that. So she goes and babysits her neighbor's kids and everything. It's just a she only had one other experience babysitting them. It was for like maybe an hour, maybe a few hours tops. It wasn't really much. But this is going to be different. And it, the book really amps up like just shortly right after um, the kid's mother leaves. It's like, boom! Everything just... All of a sudden, they're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, it's like, what is that shaking? And it's just... This book! This author puts you in it, guys! It... She puts you in it. So you feel like you are in Hannah's shoes, and you are experiencing, like, what do I do? I've never been in this situation. But... She does her best to keep her calm. Because she has to stay calm for these kids. Like, if she freaks out, they're going to freak out. And it's just... It's one of those things where you don't know what to do in a situation until you're actually in it. And then all... All all reason goes out the window. All reason goes out the window. I would just, I definitely recommend it. It really, it kept me on the edge of my seat, like, wondering what is going to happen. How much worse is this going to get? Just with everything going on right now, I mean, this is, this is a good book. This is just amazing. And I can't recommend it highly enough. I really like Hannah's character. I like how she kept her calm as best she could. I like how, even though she's a new babysitter, she feels already like, oh gosh, I'm making mistakes. I wish I hadn't have done that. Now, because of my carelessness, this happened. And now we have to adjust to that with all of this going on. And it's just... Alright, and the last book I read here, Efren Divided by Ernesto... Cisneros? I'm sure I mispronounced his name. This actually just came out on the 31st of March. So this is very brand new. I give it a 5 out of 5. It's 272 pages. This book is just everything. I want to see if I can get a better summary because this is like really short. I'll read it but I'll get my book and read that summary instead. While his father works two jobs, seventh grader Efron Nava must take care of his twin siblings. Kindergartners Max and Mia, after their mother is deported to Mexico, includes glossary of Spanish words. Efron Nava's ama is his superwoman, or does it say superwoman? S-O-P-E-R woman. I'm sorry, guys. Named after de- the delicious Mexican... Gosh, I can't... S-O-P-E-S. I wish I could pronounce it. I don't know. 
His mother often prepares for the family. Both Ama and Appa. See, there's again. I'm mispronouncing words. I'm gonna. I'm doing. I'm gonna do my best, guys. Work hard all day to provide for the family, making sure Efron and his younger siblings, Max and Mia, feel safe and loved. But Efron worries about his parents. Although he's an he's American born, his parents are undocumented, and according to families like his. Wait, according to the Neighborhood Talk or local chisme, families like his are in great danger. Sure enough, Efren's worst nightmare comes true one day when Ama doesn't return from work and is deported across the border to Tijuana, Mexico. Now it's up to Efren to be brave and figure out how to act sober himself. While Appa takes an extra job to earn the money needed to get her back, Efren struggles to look after Max and Mia, his younger siblings, while also dealing with schoolwork, his best friend's probably doomed campaign for school president and his fears about what might happen to his family next. When disaster strikes, Efron is faced with crossing the border alone to see Ama. More than ever, he must channel his inner soper boy to help keep his family together. Efron Divided is a story about family, friendship, and tearing down the walls being built between us all. This is such an important book that kids need to be reading today. It just <clears throat> it deals with a big, big topic of kids having to deal with their parents being deported. Um, the show Party of Five, this new one that came out this year, deals with a family of five whose parents were deported and having to make ends meet and everything like that. Uh, what Very early on, his mother gets deported, uh, Efren's mother, and he's just taking on the response. His father is actually working two jobs, so he's like barely even sleeping. He barely sees his dad. But it's up to Efren to get his brother and sister up and ready to go to, to, go to school in the morning because he drops them off at school while he's on his way to school. His, his younger, you know, the brother and sister, Max and Mia. Max, unfortunately, while in the womb, I guess he was choking. He had, like, the umbilical cord, like, wrapped around his neck. And I guess it caused a little bit of, um, a slight mental disability. May something in that regard. And it's just this kid. He's trying to do his homework. He's usually a straight-A student, always on time. But now that he's had, he has the added responsibility now because his mother isn't there, he's got to do everything. You know, get them ready for school, get them breakfast. You know, school actually has free breakfast, so that does kind of work out for him. Um, and then also pick them up from school, take them home, and then also try to work on his homework while trying to keep the kids from bouncing off the walls and asking questions about where their mother is, when is Amma coming back? And the thing is, Efren doesn't have answers to this question. So he's, and the thing about um, Mia is really, this girl's like really like not buying like, oh, she'll be home soon. Don't worry about it and everything. And she's just like, and they do get calls for, from Ama and stuff like that. She's just saying, it's going okay. I have a place somewhere. I, I'm getting a job. So she's doing what she can, but she does need, you know, 
Efren's dad to like get money so that way hopefully they can kind of get her back across the border and everything like that and then it's up to Efren as the summary says that he has to get to Tijuana to get to his mom to hopefully get her the money that she would need so um it's like I said it's a really good book um we need more books like this for kids for middle grade for kids that are going through not just people that kids that are going through the situation but to help us be able to understand what they're going through like i said i highly recommend that book uh the two books i'm currently reading the first one jackpot which is a ya by nick stone which came out last fall october 15th 2019 352 pages this is a it's an interesting book. I, I like it. I haven't read a YA in but but I like this. Okay. From the author of the New York Times bestseller, Dear Martin, comes a, pr- a pitch-perfect romance that examines class, privilege, and how a stroke of good luck can change an entire life. Meet Rico, high school senior and afternoon shift cashier at the Gas and Go, who after... School and work races home to take care of her younger brother every single day. When Rico sells the jackpot winning lotto ticket and she thinks maybe her luck will finally change, but only if she, with some assistance from her popular and wildly rich classmate Zan, can find the ticket holder who hasn't claimed the prize. But what happens when... But what happens when have and have nots collide? Will this investigative duo unite or divide? Nick Stone, the New York Times bestselling author of Dear Martin and Odd One Out, creates two unforgettable characters and one hard-hitting story about class money, both too little and too much, and how you make your own luck in the world. So far, I mean, I'm not that far into it, but I'm liking the character. I I really like Rico. She's really cool. Um, And, of course... um, Let me find it. Here it is. Uh, Middle Grade, I started last night... It's called Chirp. It's by Kate Messner. It came out February 4th of this year. It's about 240 pages. Um, from acclaimed author Kate Messner comes the powerful story of a young girl with the courage to make her voice heard. Set against the backdrop of a summer mystery. When Mia moves to Vermont the summer after 7th grade, she's recovering from the broken arm she got falling off a balance beam. And packed away in the moving boxes under her clothes and gymnastic trophies is a secret she'd rather forget. Mia's change in scenery brings day camp, new friends, and time with her beloved grandmother. But Graham is convinced someone is trying to sabotage. Someone is trying to destroy her cricket farm. Is it sabotage, or is Graham's thinking impaired from the stroke she suffered months ago? Mia and her friends set out to investigate, but can they uncover the truth in time to save Graham's farm? And here we go. I gotta drink something. Mm. And will that discovery empower Mia to confront the secret she's been hiding and find the courage she never knew she had? In a compelling story rich with friendship, science, and summer fun, a girl finds her voice while navigating the joys and challenges of growing up. Um, a book that I'm reading on my nook here, it's called... This is the very last book, guys. Um, actually, before I get into that, um, Chirp is really interesting so far. 
I, I'm really liking it. Um, the grandma, of course, I guess she was set to sell her house to some developer. And that's what... Um, the, I'm sorry, guys. Let me find it. That's what um, Mia... You know, her parents are, like, going up there, like, well, she was supposed to sell, you know, and with the stroke, she's just slowing down. And that creates an issue between Mia's parents, like, the, you know, her mom is all like, what, she's the daughter-in-law, and she's all like, well, wait, no, you said that you were gonna sell, it was all set up, like, months ago, and all of a sudden now you want to have a cricket farm, and they're just, like, this whole cricket farm idea, just, they're chalking it up to, like, a, a symptom of her stroke, like, her reasoning side of her brain just isn't firing on all cylinders or something, and um, that definitely, of course, is going to create some friction between the parents, because the dad, whose mother, you know, with the cricket farm, is all like, honey, look, it's just, that's my mom's way, let's just figure it out, maybe... There's something more to this. And it's just like, Mia's like, I don't know what to think. But the grandmother's got a new dog. It's a cute little bulldog puppy. And it's like, oh. And yeah, so um, next to her house, the grandma's house, is some moose place that sells like moose stuffed animals and like different occupational, you know, clothing, like a construction worker, an office worker a hockey player or whatever. And I'm getting a feeling when I read the synopsis to Jeremy, because he doesn't really care, I'm like, I'm going to read the synopsis to you, even though you don't care. <laughs> um, I got a really strong feeling of uh, the whole gymnastic scandal with the, you know, if you guys are familiar with the whole Nasser thing, gymnastic scandal with Michigan State University. Um, I'm not 100% familiar with it, but I got the vibes when I read the synopsis, The Secret. I'm hoping I'm not spoiling anything, but I could be 100% wrong. But my mind went there, especially when she goes into that moose shop and she's saying how this older gentleman with the spiky gray hair is just kind of looking at her like looking her, eyeing her up and down, and she's like, gosh, I wish I could, like, put on a parka or something. I'm like, oh, this, I think it could be going, I mean, I barely started the book, but it's like, that's exactly what came into my mind when I read the synopsis, like, oh my gosh, if I'm wrong, I hope so, but uh, my mind went there. It's like, this is a, this is another topic that needs to be brought up big time, with uh, kids and adults and what is not appropriate. Especially when it comes to, like, kids spending time with their coaches and being, um, especially gymnastics or, or swimming or anything where there's certain, you don't, uh, adults think, like, oh, it's okay because I'm helping. No, it's not. There are areas you don't touch on a person and definitely my and the oh my gosh guys I'll get more on this when I finish this book but my gosh this just makes my blood run cold thinking about this the, 
Um, and lastly, A Kind of Paradise by Amy Rebecca Tan. Another book <laughs> set in a library. Amy Rebecca Tan's debut novel. Oh, it's a debut novel. Cool. It's a heartwarming middle grade coming of age story about the power of community, the power of the library, and the power of forgiveness. Jamie Bunn made a mistake at the end of the school year, a big one, and every kid in her middle school knows about it. Yeah, everyone but us. They keep, they're going to drag this out the whole dang book, man. And I'm just like, I don't know what it is. What did you do? What's so bad? Ugh. Um, <laughs> now she has to spend her summer vacation volunteering at the local library as punishment. It may be boring, but at least she'll be able to hide from mean girl Trina, who's always had it out for her, and beautiful trade, the boy at the root of her big mistake. Oh, boy. Or so she thinks. Not only does her job bring her face-to-face -face with both her mortal enemy and her ultimate crush, Jamie also encounters a territorial patron, oh boy, an elderly movie fanatic, a super tall painter who loves to bake, and a homeless dog. Over the course of the summer, as she gets, as Jamie gets to know the library the, and the people in it, she finds and gives help where she least expects it. And she just might find herself along the way. This, oh. And every chapter, she's introducing us to a new patron or giving us a little itty-bitty crumbs of what she did at the end of the school year that has her her mom and her her aunt just kind of, like, they, like, have a routine, like, every, like, week on a Sunday or something. They go out to this special place. And because of this thing that she did, her aunt and her mom go without her as, like, a punishment. Like, you know, you have to stay here. You can't go with us. And I'm like, what did she do? That was so Oh my god! It's driving me nuts! But man, I want to know what it was! Um, but yeah, guys, I, I hope I gave you guys a lot of book recommendations. Um, all these, these books are just... And I will from time to time, like later on in the summer, like I'll tell you, maybe I can do another one of these. Like, hey, these are the books I'm reading when I get like a bunch of them and stuff. But yeah, a lot of good books. Uh, I know the libraries are closed right now. Um, I know there are services out there through some libraries for like audiobooks and stuff like that too. So that would be a another way to go to be able to read these amazing books. I mean, you know, bookstores are also closed right now. Um, Audible, I know that that's a membership that you got to pay for and stuff like that. Um, but I think a lot of libraries do have that, f you know, free audiobook thing. Which I haven't used that yet. So, but like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I know it's very long-winded. It's, it's probably over two hours long. But it just gives you guys a lot, a lot of stuff to read, uh, look forward to reading. So... All right, that being said, have a, well, I would say have a great week, but uh, that doesn't sound appropriate right now, does it? So I'll just end it like I do with my other podcast episodes. Stay home, stay healthy, stay positive. And guys, like I said, we're going to get through this. We will get through this. There's a light at the, at the end of the tunnel, and we are going to find it. All right, happy reading, everybody.